As the title of the message is, Building Up the Body of Christ. Today we focus on God's plan in verses 11 and 12 and the process of building up the body in verses 13 to 16. Hear the word of God. And he gave some apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, in deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, last time we were in Ephesians, we looked at verses 7 to 11 primarily, and we looked at the church as God's construction project because a general theme in the text from verse 7 to 16 is the building up of the body of Christ. And we consider that the church is being built up. The church is under God's construction. And in fact, we are in the process of being built up. And when a construction project is under construction, it is under a process. It is not what it will eventually be. But over time, when the plan is followed, when the blueprints are followed, and it is being built to the designer's specification, you will start to see the process emerge. It will start to look like what it's supposed to look like, its final end result. Now, over time, it will take shape. And the church of Jesus Christ is no exception. We look at the plan in verses 7 to 14 as we focused on what Christ gave. What Christ gave the church, He gave to me and you to accomplish the task. And the church will be built. And what did Christ give? He gave in verse 7, enabling grace. And and He gave gifts to enable us to build. Through his incarnation, through his coming and his victory here on earth, he conquered sin, he conquered death. And as a king, as Paul alluded to in Psalm 68, as a victorious king, he gives gifts to his people. We looked at the triumphant Christ's descent, but we also looked at his ascension to the right hand of all authority, where he is far above all rule or authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as the head over all things to the church. So Christ supplies what is needed for this project. But what exactly is being built here? Well, the end result, as I alluded to last time, if you remember, I've been on construction sites where I'd walk into a site and I'd see a picture, the finished 
picture of what the site would look like. And if we were to look at that, we'd see, we'd have to go to Revelation 21 and 22. And that is in the age to come. But what we see now, what is the objective? Well, we get a hint in chapter 2. We got a glimpse of that some months ago. In regard to building, we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, that God is building up a spiritual temple. In Him, the church, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And in many ways, I like in Ephesians to a blueprint for the church. And we see the process and we compare it in the spiritual realm to the natural realm. Just as Solomon's temple in 1 Kings 6 had a specific design, so does the New Testament temple, the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul further alludes to it in chapter 2. He speaks about, in chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, the foundation of this temple. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together again in the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we focus here on the plan that the church is being built and God is using the body to build the body. Each one of us is building one another and growing simultaneously. It's an amazing thing. It's a supernatural work that God does in us. But He uses us as part of the work. So we continue as we look at verses 11 to 22. And He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Now God has a specific way and design here to build. He gives four offices, five giftings. Some would say uh, maybe five or four. We're going to go with four. Four offices, four giftings. Something to note here that these categories that we look at here as the apostle, prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher all fall into the category of leadership gifts of practitioners of the word. They are word gifts. So, let's look at them. The apostles and prophets, as we looked at last time, find their resolve in the New Testament. We see that they are the foundation of the New Testament church, and we see in the word of God that their work is now in the New Testament. And we revert to it back and forth. So the office may be now somewhat obsolete. The work is not. And then we look at the evangelist, the very prominent office in the book of Acts. And we still see that today. But what we want to focus on is this office of pastor teacher. This is one who equips, as all of them equip. These are equippers, and you can consider the pastor to some extent as we look as kind of like the coach, coaching a team where there's much teamwork involved, nurturing the body, equipping the body. Under the shepherd, the chief shepherd has appointed under shepherds for this work. Now, it's important to understand as we get into these giftings and callings that the pastor is a unique role. 
It's one that God calls a man to. And if you're young here today and you desire that, you desire a good thing. But it's not necessarily something you sign up for. It's something that God calls you to do. And it's a very self-sacrificial job. It's a very difficult job. But it's a very rewarding job. But under the role of pastor, if we use a, a musical analogy here for a minute, the pastor is not to be a one-man band. The pastor is more or less, as we look at, we can consider the pastor to be the conductor of an orchestra. We can consider that. You see, in an orchestra, there are many different instruments happen, playing at one point. And they're all playing the same piece of music. But the different instruments in an orchestra or symphony, there is different motion in music. There is contrary motion, going different ways, parallel motion. And somehow the body of Christ is like a symphony. And all of these motions are in harmony. And it's the pastor's job to be the one conducting. Now, all accentuating a unified piece of music by the word of God being built up in the word. Now, the pastor's calling is one of equipping because all called to salvation, all called by God's grace, are called to service. By his saving grace, and we see enabling grace as well. Through God's grace, there are various giftings and abilities given to all in the body. Why is it? For the edification of one another. We'll get a little more into that in a minute. For each other, for building up one another, for growing together here we see. Let's consider the calling and the quipping. By God's saving grace and in his enabling grace, we see in 1 Peter 4.10 that each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving yourself. No. Employ it in serving one another. Again, we revert back to the one another's of the New Testament. Employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And we see in verse 12 some of the, pur the purpose here of this gift for equipping. To equip God's people. So the overseers, these pastor teachers, and in the first century the apostles, prophets, and still the evangelists today, these practitioners of the word, Minister to the body so the body may grow. And it's kind of very much here the iron sharpening iron motif we see in Proverbs 27.17. Keeping a knife sharp. You know, a knife is not very good if it's dull. A knife needs to be sharp. And so does the body of Christ, each individually. And we all sharpen one another. So we see here, for the equipping of saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. To do His work. We are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand, so we should walk in. There are various giftings, and we saw a display of it this week. Various giftings that we are... We all have, we possess various giftings to do various services of work in the local church and even outside the local church. Although God has predestined you unto good works, there is a development stage. There is a nurturing stage. 
development stage and the building up and growing. Now, very much a process as we look at this text of teamwork with the pastor again, kind of as the coach in some respects. I think of it like a construction project, which we alluded to last time. There are different trades going on if you've ever been to a construction site. You may see a, a trade of laborers pouring concrete in this corner. You may see someone taking measurements a thousand yards away. You may see someone putting up steel. And it all seems to be independent, non-related. But it's all very related for the building of that project. It's kind of like that in the body of Christ as well. And Paul will use this motif of body again. Very prominent in his writings. We saw it in the first chapter. We'll see it again in chapter 5 twice. But throughout his letters, we see building up the body of Christ. So this phrase, building up, is to edify. In the original language, it can be considered an act of one who promotes another's growth in the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12. Consider what Paul writes about the body. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in Christ. So Paul explains this metaphor. He called the church a temple. He's now calling the church, considering it a body. And it consists of many different parts that all contribute to the life and edification and the well-being and the construction and building up of one another. Consider what he writes about the body in Romans 12:4 to 6. For just as we have many members in one body... And all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. So in chapter 4 we see unity, a very prominent theme, but we also see diversity within that unity. Diversity in people, diversity in callings, and diversity in giftings. So what is the ultimate goal? Well, one of the ultimate goals here is that the church will be glorified. It will be spotless. It will be perfected. Without spot or blemish, holy and blameless. That's what the church end result will be. And that is in the age to come. But now we focus on the process on this side of eternity in this age. So what exactly do we see being built up here in the next chapters, verses 13 to 16? We see this project starting to unfold. We're starting to see Christ-likeness. Most specifically, Christian maturity. And that's what we're going to focus on, verses 13 to 16. So the goal here is... Christian maturity in the essence of growing together with one another. Now, in construction, there is something called milestones. And milestones are project marks. Milestones measure how you are growing. And milestones must be met prior to completion. It's kind of like that for the church as well. As we're going to look at five milestones 
and we'll look at a goal. Number one, we see two milestones in verse 13. I'm going to give them to you first and then we'll cover them. We will grow in the unity of the faith. And we will grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In 14, explicitly, we see that we will grow in stability, in doctrinal clarity. And by implication, number four, we'll grow in discernment. And the last one, so very important, together we will grow in love. Now, this passage of Scripture, verse 11 to 16 is one long sentence in the Greek. And Paul does that quite a bit in Ephesians. So when you see these, read these passages, they may seem disconnected, but they're impregnated phrases. And they're very pregnant, and they appear to be independent, but they're interrelated, and we'll see their relationship as they complement one another, as they merge together. Let's read verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I want to draw your attention now to attaining unity of the faith. Number one, the first milestone in growing in maturity. God has called peoples from all nations. And we saw that in chapter 2. The church has been established, all kindreds, Jews and Gentiles. And right now, they have the most common bond that human beings could have, believe it or not. They are unified in Christ by the Spirit. The world tries to attain this. The world takes measures and steps towards unity. But this is only attained supernaturally by the work of Jesus Christ. Now we see attaining unity in the faith. This will continue as we all grow together. Now in chapter 4 verses 1 to 6, we looked at preserving unity. And you preserve something that you already have. And we looked at the practical aspects of unity. How unity in truth, doctrinally. Unity in the spirit, how we conduct ourselves. But what we're seeing here is... Attaining a unity, and this is something that connotes growth. So we're constantly growing into this unity as we progress in the faith. It's a constant progression forward. We see a picture of the unity as we will see in verse 16. Reaching this stature of maturity, we will also have a practical unity. And this is very, very important to the local church. Now, there is an inseparable relationship, as we've covered already in Ephesians, between unity and truth. You cannot have Christian unity without Christian truth. And number two, we're going to look at the second milestone that we meet here, that we grow into in building one another in maturity, is a knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of the faith and knowledge are not mutually exclusive, but they are related and they overlap. And there is a relation here. This is not a knowledge about Jesus Christ. This is not facts about Jesus Christ. This is knowing Jesus Christ. This is a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's about knowing Him. 
It's about relational knowledge that a born-again believer in Christ has. Now, you may have heard about someone, but did you ever meet the person? Maybe you've read some things or heard things about a person, but a a born-again believer knows the risen Christ. They have met with them in the spiritual sense. And they have tasted and seen that Christ is good. Have you tasted and seen that Jesus Christ is good? Do you know Him? Not just know about Him, but do you know Christ? This produces an internal awareness in accordance to the Word and the Spirit. This is what the Word produces. This is what the leadership give the people, and it produces this knowledge. And it's an aspect of maturity. And it's about influence. You see, knowing Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God and the Father, they will have an influence on you. And you will have an influence on one another. In this passage, we see influence. What is influence? It's a development of character. It's a development of behavior. Someone or something has an effect on the person. That's influence. And collectively, we grow in this truth by influencing one another, by being influenced by the Word of God and influencing one another. Now, getting to know Christ means something. You're not just getting to know Him cognitively in your mind. When you get to know Jesus Christ, you will start to be like Him. You will start to see that process unfold where slowly over time, that sanctification, that construction will start to resemble what you will be like in the end. And it's, it's great and I can't wait for it. Now, the pastor-teacher is certainly integral in this teaching the sound doctrine to produce this. There's no question about it. But we see a goal also in verse 13. What I believe is the goal. Reaching the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Now let me just say something. I don't think we reach that on this side of eternity. But I was just thinking about this. It's kind of like a staircase, like a pyramid. We have the knowledge of God that we all have. And as we go up, it starts to become more unified until we reach this stature. It's a constant progression. It's a going forward in the Lord. Because Christ is the model. He is the model for spiritual maturity. Romans 8.29 For those He foreknew, He also predestined to to become, circle that, to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's the goal. That's the goal. And that's what maturity certainly looks like. We look at two more milestones in verse 14. Growing in stability, doctrinal stability. That's a result of maturity. And the fourth milestone, by implication, is discernment. Let's look at it. Number three, growing in doctrinal stability. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's what maturity doesn't look like. 
when you're carried about by the trickery of men. No, maturity, we are to be stable. We are not to be influenced by false teaching. We are not to be deceived by false teaching. We need to be rooted and grounded in truth. And that is how we build, that is how we grow. And that makes us stable. But unfortunately, there's a lot of influences, and we've talked about this, and we're seeing this in the cultural apologetics that we, the Pastor George has been doing here. We're seeing a lot of influences that are not of Christ, that are making their way inside the church. There is indeed a storm that we find ourselves in right now. And we've all heard the analogies of the Word of God being our anchor in the storm. And absolutely, it is the anchor, but it's got to be the right anchor. It's got to be heavy enough. It's got to be weighty enough. And sound doctrine is that anchor. The Word of God grounds us, and we attain stability. And implicit is the fourth milestone we see here growing in spiritual discernment. Sound doctrine produces discernment. Thereby, all ought to have the ability to exercise discernment. As you grow and mature in Christ, discernment is part of that process. Now, you're seeing an example right now, as we looked at, of all the lies that are coming against us. The the only way you can know counterfeit is by knowing the truth. You need to have discernment. And the reality is you can only decipher right from wrong, not from some feeling you have in your stomach, not by just something you heard. It comes from the Word of God, the unchangeable Word of God, from the unchangeable God. And it's very, very important. And we should not be influenced by the own deceitfulness of our own hearts. The Word helps us not be deceitfulness, deceitful by this world. The Word helps us to not be deceived by the schemes of the adversary, Satan. And it's so very important. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. It uses this imagery of children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Like a child of God, we're not always going to... We are children of God all the time, okay? We're not always going to be infants. We are to grow. We are to grow. There are different stages of this maturity, of this Christian maturity. Consider what Paul writes uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So certainly in this maturity, there is a development process. And we will develop through the Word. There's also a process of drinking milk. And infants drink milk. And that is perfectly legitimate. That's what they do. But we see 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. Amen. If you're young in the faith, long for the milk of the Word. So that by it, you may grow in respect to your salvation. Amen. But as we progress in the faith and learn discernment and become stable, 
We eventually go from milk to meat. Children, babies, don't eat, must eat solid food. Don't eat solid food. Over time, they will need to eat meat. They start out with milk. And we consider what the writer of Hebrews tells us in 5.14. Speaking of maturity, that solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. That is what the Word of God does. And that is what we are to do for one another. Building up one another. And sharpening one another by God's standard. Not by our own, not by man's, not by the culture's, not by the government. And so on and so forth. It's by Christ and Christ alone through the Word of God. Now the pastors have a responsibility and the, we see that those leadership gifts that, and their calling to do this, to implement this. But you all have a responsibility to discernment. This fourth milestone that we see. You are all responsible to rightly divide the word of God and if you're coming to this church you're being assisted in this process because we see in 2 Timothy 2.15 that everyone here is to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed actually handling the word of truth. Now Paul's telling Timothy this, but the application is for the body as well. Because false doctrines have been a great tool for Satan. And in our current landscape, we see such demonic, demonic doctrines coming at us at a rapid fire rate. It's as if there's a machine gun of rapid-fire drill coming at us all the time. We must be able to stand. We must be stable. We must sharpen one another. We must build one another at this time. That's important. So the last milestone we see is in in verses 15 and 16. We're just going to look at this maturity. With maturity, we grow in love. So the fifth milestone... And our quest for maturity here is growing in love. There's a massive correlation, again, between unity and truth, and a massive correlation between truth and love. And now we see this word, speaking the truth in love. This is a very interesting word here for truth. It's actually a verb. And the literal translation is truthing in love. That means speaking truth in love, doing truth in love. And maturity will manifest itself certainly in speaking. We should be able to articulate the Word of God. And we must understand that when we communicate God's truth, it's to be done in love. Now, God's truth can be used as a weapon. And sometimes it ought to be used as a weapon. We see that in Ephesians 6. But... We must understand that the word here is depicted by a mature person knowing how to handle the word of God. We ought to know as mature people how to speak to one another in love and even how to speak to the outside world in love. We ought to know how to speak in every situation. Now speaking rightly and dividing the word is a sense of maturity. And that speaking in love is important. A quote by Warren Worsby, truth without love is brutality 
And love without truth is hypocrisy. So, as we continue in verse 15, we see a result here of this maturity. We are to grow in all aspects into Him. That's Christ, who is the head, even Christ. Now, the head here is figuratively used. We saw the head in chapter 1 as well. And we can make the application that the head is the brain. The brain of the body of Christ. Think of a brain as the central computer that controls all the body's functions. It directs the human body. Christ is the head of which the church is the body. And the whole body is subject to the head. Now the brain can cause changes in the body. And speaking of growing into maturity, as once children no longer, we think of the stage of puberty. The brain sends chemicals to the body to grow. And this is very much the case here in the body of Christ as we grow from Christ as being the head. We think of several things now when we get to verse 16. Now each saint is a member of this body. Each saint. And look at the language used here. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, Christ is the head, and what he's doing here is fitting. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Consider the language of the New Living Translation. He, Christ, makes the whole body fit together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. As the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each individual part doing its own thing under the headship of Christ is all helping the collective body grow. Only Christ can do this. This is amazing. This is amazing for the church. Each part has a role to play in the body building process. And each part of the body helps the other part grow. We see that in Paul's letters. So, Christ being the head. The end result, we see in 16, when each part is working properly, the body grows. How's it grow? Healthy. It grows maturely into Christ. And it builds itself up in love. And this major milestone, number five here, of maturity is love. No question about it. Growing Christ has several aspects. We grow in the unity of the faith, number one. We grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. We grow in doctrinal stability. We grow in discernment. And we grow in love. But that's not all we do as the body of Christ. Having the ability to love, one of the key ingredients here is building together in love. Not just growing, but building and giving and truthing in love. Loving one another. Growing in the stature and the fullness of Christ. There's no question love is such a prominent theme. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. As we grow into Christ, we must love one another. We will build ourselves up in this love. And we will love one another. Now, no question, Jesus Christ is building His church. 
we know that the gates of Hades will not prevail. But what we must come to terms with is how he is building this and what exactly is he building it into. But we see in one word, we're being built up into Christ. Into Christ's likeness. Into the image of Jesus Christ. That's Christian maturity. It doesn't mean that we should have a church that is problem free. It shouldn't mean that we are the most prosperous and richest people on the earth living luxurious lives. It doesn't mean that we will be the healthiest people. But it means that we will be Christ-like people. We will be godly people. And the goal is a Christ-formed church. That's what he's building on this side of eternity. And we'll see the final results in the age to come. Love is a key component. So, in just closing and summarizing... God builds the church by using the church to build one another. Under the supervision and of the practitioners of the word of God, the pastors. And in our text, we examine once again the communal aspects we see in Ephesians. If I was to ask you at 9 o'clock in the morning, why are you going to church this morning? You may have a variety of answers. Maybe one of them is I want to worship God, which is perfectly fine. Maybe one of them is I go every Sunday. Maybe that's one. Maybe. But one of the issues that we have to understand when we enter this place is the communal aspect of the one of another's. And you have the ability and you are to influence one another. This changes for me the whole dynamic of church. And we are here for the collective benefit and edification of others. Now Christ's mission was accomplished. Amen. It is finished. But the church now is a mission, as we alluded to, in progress. And one of the things we must consider, that there may be some obstacles to building up the body of Christ. There may be some obstacles to our growth. Because the church will be triumphant, but it doesn't mean, just as children have those growing pains, it doesn't mean that we might not have them as well. We may have some growing pains, and we may even see rebuke. We look at the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. But the process will continue. And also we have that old and new nature that also hinders us. And it's an obstacle from us growing to reach our full potential. More on that, God willing, when we look at verses 17 to 24. But one of the points we can take from this is, we need to be here. We need to be in the church, fellowshipping with one another, absolutely. But also sharpening one another, building up one another, growing together, influencing one another. Now, there are many excuses why we will not be here. I know maybe there's health reasons, and certainly those should be acknowledged and respected. But clearly, we see that the building up of the body, and certainly this passage in Ephesians, there's a collective aspect and communion of the saints together. There's no question about that. And we're going into an age in the evangelical church where many will just stay to themselves 
and just watch a service online and not be a part and not commit to the local body. May that never be said of us. I know there's exceptions. But we ought to be a Christ-filled people, Christ-formed people. And when we see that picture on the fence of that end result, what it will look like, it'll be a glorious, spotless bride. Perfect. That will be the end result of the building. But on this side of eternity, we see that the growing and the nurturing aspect for us all. So in closing, maybe you came to church today with a whole different concept of church. Maybe you knew. I hope this has changed your concept a little bit. Maybe some of you have come because you were invited. You know some of the people here. But again, do you know the God of the people? Maybe you heard about this church. You like this church. Do you know the God of this church? Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the eternal God who condescended, humbled Himself, and came to earth and redeemed His people. Do you know Christ as Savior today? Do you know Him as Lord? Do you know Him? Do you know Him as Lord? Have you been delivered from the wrath of your sin? For the wage of sin is death. One sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Have you experienced this new birth? I close with Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. Has this happened to you? Has He rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom you have redemption? Has it happened to you? And the forgiveness of sins. It only happens through Jesus Christ. Only you can attain it through Him. The one and only unique Son of God. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the sovereign, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful Christ. In verse 16. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. I heard the word spoke this morning. There are no maverick molecules in Sunday school. In Him, all things hold together. Has this truth changed your life? It's life-changing truth. This is a general call to all. There's a general call that goes out in the book of Acts. That God commands all men everywhere to repent. We know of this general call. We also know of an effectual call. That all that the Father gives the Son will come. I pray today, if you've not experienced this new birth, if you not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you come. I hope we come back next week 
and continue this process of growing together and building up one another. I can't think of anything better to do. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this instruction given to us. And Father, I pray for this church as we have grown into a mature church. May we continue to grow in accordance to the plan of God. As we experience this process of growth, Lord. Oh, Lord, what it would be like, Lord, when we see you face to face. Father God, may that be on our minds. As we often say, let us seek the things which are above where Christ sitteth, and not set our mind on things of the earth. But Father, may we focus on this calling that each one of us have. May we influence one another. And may Christ be formed in us. In Jesus' name, amen.